Well, it is a beautiful morning. I, uh, I like probably, oh, I'd say 80% of you am, am battling things as well. It's, for me, it's a little bit of a cough. No, uh, no fever or anything crazy like that. Just a, just a little bit of a cough uh, that exists in, in my world. And so uh, I, I brought me a little cheater here this morning for me because uh, it's going to be good. It's, it's, I'm excited, super excited about, about this morning. I am going to ask you, though, um, on your... Uh, on your seat backs there in front of you, um, unless you're in the front row, I guess, uh, there are these cards right here, these connect cards, um, and then there's a note card. And so I'm just going to ask, I, I know a lot of you, uh, you don't necessarily write things down and stuff like that. I get that. Uh, not everybody does. But uh, I'm going to challenge you today to, to potentially be ready to do that. So just pull out that note card or pull out that connect card and have it ready and waiting for the moment whenever uh, it's revealed to you that you're supposed to write something down because our, our prayer is that, that you will do that. This is a super exciting, exciting morning for us and I love that we get to start it off with the same verse that we've been using for the last several weeks now. Excitingly, we're actually going to be continuing to use this verse into our Christmas series as well. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his in indescribable gift. I hope that that verse is just so stuck in your mind. And then last week we got to dive in and, and take the context of the verse, whereas this week is a little bit different. I told you last week the direction we were going, talking about this outrageous vision that God has for us. Where are we at as an individual, as a church? Where are we going as individuals, as a church? And how on earth do we get there? I found a couple of definitions of the word vision that I wanted to share with you this morning because I, I found both of them uniquely interesting and challenging for sure. The first one, vision, the capacity to create a compelling picture of the desired state of affairs that inspires people to respond, that which is desirable, which could be, should be, that which is attainable. A godly vision is right for the times, right for the church, and right for the people. A godly vision promotes faith rather than fear. A godly vision motivates people to action. A godly vision requires risk-taking. A godly vision glorifies God, not people. A, a second definition. Vision is the ability to understand history, the present condition, and the potential of the church, and to conceive a plan of action that will maximize the ministry potential. More often than not, vision is the result of having spent time absorbing the facts about the community, knowing the resources upon which the church can call, and devising a sound but creative strategy for moving forward. Vision always entails progress. It is never satisfied with the status quo. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into your word this morning... I just pray that our minds are opened to whatever your spirit would be saying to us. Father, that our hearts are open to respond to your spirit's movement within us. Father, these are interesting times on earth, but they're exciting times to be your children, and that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, those are the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost in that very famous first gospel's message ever preached where 3,000 people came to know Christ. Christ on that very day. What you may not know is those words of Peter aren't Peter's words at all. Peter is quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel from chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. Those are not his words. Those are old words given for an older time, a different generation of people, yet brought back into the forefront of everyone's minds as Jesus has now left and left them to carry on his work. It's a famous, famous passage There's a really famous passage about vision, very specifically because it uses the word in the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Now, I'm going to read this passage from the King James Version. I know some of you will be very excited about that. The reason for that is because it's the most recognizable. It's the one most people will, will recognize the verbiage, the words, the language of that verse. It's simply this, Proverbs 28 or 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. See, you know the King James Version. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, what on earth does this verse mean? How does vision relate to the law of God? Well, let's look at a more modern translation, which unfortunately is a little more accurate because it's directly from the Greek translation. Sorry, King James people, but it's okay. The New American Standard Bible says it this way. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is the one who keeps the law. Now, what is this vision the author is speaking of? What does it mean to perish or to be unrestrained in this context? How does this vision relate to happiness? So we're going to take a quick look at this and digest this first, because this is a passage that is often taken out of context within Christendom, within the church. Much of Christianity teaches and believes that somehow, some way, this verse relates to God fulfilling your vision, your destiny, your hopes, your dreams, and that is not what this passage is about in any way, shape, or form. Where there is no vision, let's define vision further, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no divine revelation of God and his word, where there is no understanding of the word of God. This is the vision that the author is speaking of. How do we know? I'm not making anything up here. We know because of the context. The second half of the verse explains to us exactly what the author is talking about. It refers back to or explains what happens if there is vision. In this case, vision that comes from knowing the law knowing the word of God. If the word of God is not taught, if we spend our time without the guidance of God, we will perish. We will be unrestrained to act however we see fit. We will lose self-control. We will have no guidance. We will run wild. Listen to the Good News translation of this same verse. See if it describes the state of, say, oh, I don't know, our country right now. It says it this way, a nation without God's guidance is a nation without order. That's what happens when the word of God is neglected, when it's ignored, or when it's altered, twisted, changed to mean what we want it to mean. 
Without the vision of God's word, without the guidance and direction, that is our fate as well. But the passage continues. It says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Happy is the one who keeps the law. Some versions translate that Hebrew word for happy as blessed. Blessed is the one who keeps the law. Church, our vision needs to be crystal clear, completely and totally focused on God and his words, on Jesus and his teachings, on the sacrifice that he made for everyone, on the promise, on, on, on his resurrection and on the promise of his second coming. Our vision, our purpose must fully revolve around his truth. The ministry opportunities that God laid on your hearts this summer must be in line with his vision, with his word. Here's what I can tell you. As your pastor, I can confidently also say as a member of the eldership team, I can also tell you as a member of the staff here at Berea, this will always be our focus. No exceptions. I believe that the word of God tells us that if we do not lose that focus on him and his word, that he will in turn give us opportunities to seek and save the lost in ways that you and I can't even imagine without his divine revelation to us. I'm going to read a short passage today from the book of Amos, the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to guess that's probably not a place that many of you start your daily morning devotions in the book of Amos, but I would challenge you to maybe think about doing so. It's actually a pretty good read, and it's not terribly long. Before I read this, I want to make sure you understand I'm not taking this out of context. Just like we could not accuse Peter of taking the words of Joel out of context on the day of Pentecost, the, I'm not taking these words of Amos out of context. This was a direct revelation from God to Amos for the people of Israel, okay? And I'm not pretending it's anything else. So let me start with this. I'm going to read a brief description of the book of Amos for you, written by a, a somewhat famous pastor named Chuck Swindoll, if you've heard of him. He said this about the book of Amos, More than, and I just use your imagination and see how it might apply to us today. More than, any, more than almost any other book of scripture, the book of Amos holds God's people accountable for their ill treatment of others. It repeatedly points out the failure of the people of God to fully embrace God's idea of justice. Drunk on their own economic success, and intent on strengthening their financial position, the people had lost the concept of caring for one another. Amos rebuked them because he saw that in that lifestyle, evidence that Israel had forgotten God. With the people of Israel in the north enjoying almost unparalleled time of success. However, while their outer lives gleamed rays of success, their inner lives sank into the pit of moral decay. Rather than seeking opportunities to do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with their God, they embraced their arrogance, idolatry, self-righteousness, and materialism. Amos communicated God's utter disdain for the hypocritical lives of his people. Apply that as you will to the church today. Again, this was not written to us, no, no, but it was absolutely, completely saved for us. Listen to what was coming for the ancient church in Israel, and just see if you think we might have arrived back at this same place again today. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. 
not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Is our world suffering from a famine of hearing the word of God? Tell me one problem, one crisis, one issue that God cannot solve. But we live in a world where people don't know God. They don't know his word. They don't know his law. And as a result, they do not know or understand his love for them. And unfortunately, this has crossed all the way over into the church as well. Here's the problem. Some people within the church have never been taught the truth of God's word. Some people, let's just be really honest, haven't paid any attention. Some people have been taught lies. And some people, they just don't really want to learn. So we live this life on this earth with no vision, no guidance from our God. And this leads us to live unrestrained, undisciplined lives. We find ourselves bringing pain and suffering and mental distress and more upon ourselves. Why? Because we live outside of the guidance, the vision of God. When we could choose to be happy or blessed, while residing in his law, in his teachings. That's what this passage is all about. And that is why we are here, to make sure that the vision of God is at the front of our minds, to make sure that the word of God is what guides us and directs us. It would not be possible for me to be more excited about playing a role in that with all of you. You must understand that from my perspective, every week's message, every class or study that I get an opportunity to be a part of, every relationship that God allows me to develop with someone else within this community, within this family of believers, all of this helps me, keeps God's vision right in front of my eyes as well. I mentioned this phrase last week. I'm going to mention a lot more over the years. I'm sure of it. I believe it fits so well with what we're going through as a church, but quite honestly, it reaches further. It goes into every one of our lives. It should be applied to our lives each and every day. We will never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are. We can't. It's not possible. If we stay the same today, tomorrow, we'll never become who God wants us to be. God's vision, God's word, everything that he's given us demands that we change and conform into his image. John tells us if we claim to life in Christ, then we must live as Jesus did, 1 John 2, 6. It's a daily choice. It's a daily choice that I know because I know me that yesterday I got up and I did not perfectly do that. And so today, God's given me another opportunity to get up and get back at it today and try again to become more and more like Jesus today. Jesus asks us in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? We have to put his words into practice. It's not an option. It's not just for Sundays. It's every single day. If you've accepted Jesus, then Paul wants to remind you of this very simple phrase, he that began a good work on you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. He began the good work. He didn't finish it. He started it, and it's not done yet. The transformation is ongoing. It's continual. Daily, we are to look more and more like Jesus. I love the way Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 
3, beginning in verse 12. And if you're wondering, those of you guys that, that aren't looking at, at your Bibles or on your phones, you might be wondering, why are the words slightly different behind me? We had a computer die completely this week, and so we're using a backup, and so we don't have that translation on here. So just go with me. It's close. You'll be fine. Just don't be distracted by that, because I know there are people in the room that, wait, that's not what he said. That's different. This is the ESV. This is the NIV. You'll be okay. Just want to give that memo to you. Paul describes it this way. Listen, I love this description. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Now, some of you might not be familiar with that Old Testament story of Moses. It's an incredible story of Moses as he goes to Mount, I mean, Charlton Heston goes to Mount Sinai and he comes down. Some of you know that. Anyway comes down from Mount Sinai. He's got those Ten Commandments, but something is different about Moses when he comes down. The man is literally glowing because he's been in the presence of God. His face is beaming because of that. But as Moses aged and aged and aged and the toll of life came upon him, that radiance began to fade. And he began to hide that so that the people wouldn't notice that the glow was fading. Here's what's awesome, church. That's not our story. Not our story. In fact, our story is the exact opposite of Moses. When we come to the Lord, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 picks up. And the veil is taken away. Now, the Spirit, uh, sorry, the Lord is Spirit. And you probably know this part. Finish it for me. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. An ever-increasing glory. We won't be the same tomorrow as we are today. We will always be changing as individuals every day. Every day we should get up and ask ourselves, how can I be more like Jesus today? How can I be more like Jesus today? Every day, set a reminder, put a note on the mirror, put a note on your coffee cup, whatever it is, email yourself, program it in from now until whenever you know, God takes you home. Every day you're gonna get an email, how can I be more like Jesus today? It will change the way you make every decision throughout your day. Put something in front of you that forces you to reflect on that every single day. As God shapes and God forms each and every one of us more into his image, guess what? our family here will begin to change as well because we will all be conforming into his image. Our church will conform even more into his image as well. As a church, we have to grow. We have to change. We are seeking to become more and more pleasing to our bridegroom. Have you ever thought about that? We're the bride of Christ. We are pursuing Jesus. We are trying to make ourselves holy and pleasing to him. What are we doing to try to please our Savior? In so many cases, the church in America... We just kind of do the same thing. Day in, day out, we don't really change. We've done it for too long. We've got to reach out in new ways. We've got to show God's love in new ways. We've got to be challenged in new ways. The message of Jesus will not ever change. The mission of Jesus will never change. But how we express those things to the lost and hopeless world around us has to change, has to change. Our goal as Christians is to reach out to who? Everyone. Simply, everyone. If that's the case, and I ask you to consider, which group of people are we supposed to exclude? <laughs> exactly. There's no option there. 
We don't get to pick and choose. So this summer, we were able to host what we call discovery meetings. Peter tells us that our God wants no one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the question was, what are we doing to help God accomplish his goal? What does it look like as the bride of Christ, as the church, to pursue Jesus? How? How can we bless this community? What needs might God be calling us to address, both in this community and within this family of believers? We need to look around, and we need to ask ourselves these questions. We need to evaluate what is happening in our community spiritually. What is happening in our community culturally? What is happening in our community economically? What's happening in our community educationally? What's happening in our community relationally? We're so thankful to the many, many people who came out and shared with us the needs that God had laid on their heart throughout the summer. And shockingly, when we went back and I looked over all the notes from all of those meetings, there was a theme that began to emerge. So what you're going to receive today is just a summary of those needs. It's not every single specific one. It's, it's, a, it's more of a generalization, a summary of those needs that existed. And so just listen this first time through. God revealed, put on the hearts of our people that we need to begin to find ways to address the broken families and the situations they're in within our community, the broken marriages and other relationships that exist within our community. The need was brought up to help address the challenges of education within our community and the need for affordable Christian education at the middle and high school levels. The need to address some life skill education, basic life skills from cooking to budgeting to repairing things to parenting. The need for local, affordable Christian counseling. The need to increase the, the opportunities to do outreach for the youth within our community. The need for a, a prayer ministry directed for, to, about, specifically the schools. A single mother's ministry of some kind to minister to those women in very difficult situations. Now, are there more needs? Of course, there are. But what we're doing is we're listening for the heart of God through the people that he has brought into our family so far. Did you notice a theme? Nearly every single one of them related to loving families, parents, kids. Loving them in a way to provide for some of their most basic needs, life skills, even education. Providing spiritual and emotional support as well as opportunities for growth for those people. Every one of those needs can be provided in a way that puts Jesus very, very first. A way that loves people one step closer to Jesus. We don't have it officially posted anywhere in the building. It's kind of an underlying theme, but the mission statement of our church is simply that. We want to love people one step closer to Jesus. We want to love them in such a way that, that Jesus is just drawing them in, finding new and creative ways using the diverse skills and the diverse passions that God has brought together through all of you here at Berea. So what I want to do is I want to read that list to you once again. 
Which one of these on the list kind of grabs your heart? I asked you earlier to get a card out. There's a reason for that. I want you to write down which one or ones grabs your attention. If you would be so kind, I would love to receive an email from you. Chris, K-R-I-S at bccbrazil.org or just get on the website and click the link there. That's fine. And says something like this, God revealed that blank is where he has opened my heart. This is the area that he wants me to pursue in serving and loving this community as we move forward. I want you to think about that. I want you to listen to the Spirit of God. The, the short list that I read that people brought in addressing the, the needs of the broken families, the broken marriages, the broken relationships within our community, the new challenges of, of education within our community and, and the need for affordable Christian education at the middle and high school level. Basic life skills, education, basic skills like cooking, budgeting, repairing things, parenting, local, affordable Christian counseling, outreach to the youth of our community, a prayer ministry devoted specifically to the schools. Just as a side note, there's an actual organization called Keep Watch that actually organizes and helps get that going within schools and in the community. And so if God's leading you in that direction, I've got a resource. We could get started with that oh, tomorrow. As Christ's love compels us into action, we need all of you, all of you. The final one that was listed was a ministry to single mothers within our community. We know there's way too many of those. God hasn't abandoned them nor should his church. We need all of you to be a part of this. Which of these ministries is God calling us as the body of Christ to move on now? Who will be the ones to help us lead these ministry opportunities? Well, I can answer that part. You will. You will. I believe that God is absolutely at work in this place. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. Will it be a joy? Absolutely. Here's the problem. First, every one of us must to commit to being more like Jesus. We can't remain the same. We can't do the things the same way we've always done them. We have to allow God to stretch us. We have to become more like Jesus. And as we do this, consequently, this church will display his ever-increasing glory through what we're doing. And people will be drawn to his light. Let's switch gears for a second. Let's flip to the needs that were expressed for us to meet here at Berea. So these were needs that God had laid on the heart for people here at Berea, things they saw that we needed. First of all, the first thing listed was we needed a strong, active, devoted prayer ministry. We need to bathe everything in prayer. We need to lift up our praises. We need to repent of our mistakes. We need to cover our families in prayer. We need to pray for God's leading. We need to pray for our community. We need to pray for our state, our country, and our world. Here's the great news. Since we met this summer, there have been the beginnings of a devoted prayer ministry. It's just the infancy stages right now. And hopefully in this new year, it can really, really take off. So here's what I need you to do. 
I need you to be willing to join up with this group of people. There's going to be two levels of involvement. The first level is this team is vital, and we need some prayer warriors to be a part of this team behind the scenes, just bathing everything in prayer. At the same time, that team of people that gets together to do that is going to be sending out things to the rest of us, specific prayer needs, specific opportunities for us to pray as a congregation. And when those opportunities arise, you and I need to make sure we join in them every step of the way. Nothing we attempt to do for God will succeed unless it is completely covered in prayer. We've got to know that. Another need that was mentioned was we need to do a better job of showing the love of God to those people that are already here. I agree. Jesus tells us that the outside world will know we are his disciples by our love for each other. Not for them, no, for each other. We have to take great care of one another. We have to know when people are missing. We have to take a moment and check on them. We have those awesome little communion cups that we use every Sunday. You look beside you and somebody's missing, grab an extra one, drop it by their house. Let them know you were thinking of them. What an awesome way to do it. Here's the problem. In order to do that, we actually have to know who's usually here and who's not. We have to begin developing relationships with them. We cannot be who God wants us to be by remaining who we are. If you think it's awkward to develop those relationships with people, here's the question you ask. Hey, my name's fill in the blank. How long have you been going to Berea? They might say this is their first time. They might say they've been here for 40 years. That's okay. Your question wasn't inappropriate. You can then respond with how long you've been going. It's a wonderful relationship. It'll work perfect. But here's what too many of us do. We only talk to the same three people every week. Or we only talk with our direct family members who we see throughout the week anyway, every week here at church. If that's the case, how are we expressing the love of God in a way that shows people that we are his disciples? We have to extend ourselves we have to welcome guests. I love this image. Get this image in your mind. We have to welcome guests as if they are the long-awaited family member who finally arrived for that holiday dinner after being gone for 10 years or more. That's how we have to greet every guest that comes in every single week. We need a greater commitment to gather together. The latest research shows that 22% of Americans attend church every week with an additional 28% saying they may go once or twice a month. I've got to ask again, how will those people apart from Jesus know that we are his disciples for our, by our love for one another if we're hardly ever with one another? If you and I don't make it a priority to set aside a specific time to gather as the body of believers and worship our Lord, what are we saying? Forget the people to him if we're unwilling to do that. What message are we then sending to those around us? How can we be there for each other if we are only here once in a while? What is it that truly keeps us from gathering each week? This is a hard thing for us all, trust me. What is it that genuinely keeps us from gathering each week? Honestly, it's probably the same thing that keeps us from praying every day. It's probably the same thing that keeps us from reading God's word every day. It's probably the same thing that keeps us from sharing the love of Jesus with those around us. We don't really want to. <laughs> now, it's hard to hear. I apologize, not really. But isn't it true? You see, you and I, we always make time for what we want to do. 
We make time for what's important to us. We will be inconvenienced to the hilt to do what we want to do. We will get up at ungodly hours to make it to this place, to go to that event, to do this thing. We will stay up way past our bedtimes to watch this thing, to do that thing. We will fight through a headache. We will fight through not feeling well. We will do whatever it takes not to miss out on certain things in life. But when it comes to our relationship with God and our opportunity to unite with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship his holy name, well, you know, yeah, I don't feel great. I was out late. I was this, I was that. That's what we do. Now, if you're visiting this morning or maybe you've only been here a few weeks, please know that what I'm sharing is hard to say and it's hard to hear, but God calls us first to speak truth and then he calls us to come together and to give thanks to him. Shouldn't we willingly desire to come and worship? Shouldn't we long to give back to the God who we claim saves us? Shouldn't we make this one of the greatest priorities in this lifetime after all that he's done for us? Too often we are the other nine lepers. If you're not familiar with that story, we, we shared it briefly a couple weeks ago. Jesus heals those 10 lepers and sends them on their way and only one comes back to give thanks. And we want to be a church full of people who cannot stop giving thanks to their God for his indescribable gifts. Another need that was brought up was more training. We need to offer more training for the ministries that we have for you to serve in now. And as the scope of those ministries grow, we need to do even more. We don't want you to be afraid to serve because you're just not prepared. You're not sure what that involves. The more prepared you are, the more likely you are to serve. So if training is what you need to get involved, then training is what we need to do a better job providing. Please let us know if that's a situation you're in. And oh, by the way, when we are able to offer training, please come. Please come. Because it really doesn't make any sense. Oh, we need it so people get involved and then no one comes. So we, we need you to do that. Another area that was brought up was our need to resume small groups. If you're newer to the church, you wouldn't know this, but we actually had a very successful small group percentage going. We had about 70% of the people in our church in a small group for about a year and a half. These small groups are essential, absolutely essential for growing the family of God closer together, giving people a place to belong and a place to be known, a specific place to put into practice all of the one another's that are listed in the, Old, in the New Testament, a place to grow, a place to learn, a place to ask questions, and a place to find answers. Ken and I have already been discussing exactly how and when to begin to implement this essential element back into our family here at Berea. So we're asking right now for your prayers. Will you pray with us for God's leading in this area? That God might even, might even be speaking to you right now. Remember I asked you to get those cards out earlier? Here's another chance to use, especially that Connect card. God might speak to you like, oh man, we do. We definitely need to get back together in those small groups. Great, great. God might be speaking to you right now and asking you to possibly host one of these groups. If you feel that calling, please write that on that Connect card because the hardest part of getting these groups back together again is finding those that are willing to host or facilitate those small groups. It's the hardest part is finding those folks. We want to train you, equip you to do that. You're not truly leading them. You're just hosting, facilitating them. Now, there were others that, that people shared, and as God opens up opportunities, we'll share those with you as, as need be. Here's what it looks like in the end. Often, 
It looks like God speaking to you, his spirit literally moving inside of you. And then we have a wide open door policy in our leadership here and with our staff here. If God is leading you to participate, be a part of, even start some type of ministry, come to us, share that with us, because here's what we get to do then. It's our joy then to help you prepare, to help equip you and empower you to serve him in the way that you are called. It's a wonderful thing. That's what we're supposed to do as the church Equip, train, empower to send out to serve. These two sets of needs, first for the community and then for Berea as a family, that God has revealed to our people, they're incredible. They're incredible. I ask you to reflect, how do you feel about them? Seriously, seriously. Do you fear some of the, well, there's some things mentioned in there like, oh, that's scary, maybe. How on earth could we possibly ever implement that here at this little church on a corner? Do you think they make you just a little bit nervous? Do they cause you to doubt? Where do your emotions fall? You probably don't have to guess where mine do. I'm pretty easy to read. I'm hyped up, man. I'm excited. I'm excited about this. The reality is that when we begin doing these things, first of all, we got to do them really, really well. When we're doing them with God's help and they are for him, we can't do them halfway. We also can't do them all at once. We got to pick a couple, get going, get them going well, and then move to a new one. Here's another thing we can't do. Nothing. We can't do nothing. God is calling us to act. God is calling us to move forward and serve him in these new ways, to reach out in these new ways. If God has called us to begin and we do nothing, that's called sin. Yes, the church can sin. James 4.17 applies to the church and her leadership and her members just like it does every one of us individuals. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, that is sin for them. And church, we don't want to sin. We don't want to sin. We want to follow God's lead. We want to trust that he will provide. We know that he has brought you all here to this place to be a part of this. And it is an important part that all of you will play. We know that he's using you right now to invite more people into join this family, to invite those that do not know Jesus yet to come to know him here with us. And it will take all of us and a lot more. So many of these dreams, they're outrageous. I'm aware of that. In truth, I'll be honest with you, I believe the gospel itself is outrageous. If you think of our definition of outrageous, does the gospel of Jesus Christ exceed the limits of what is usual? Is it conventional in any way? Does it go beyond our standards of the way we would do things? If you are a little uncertain, I'll recite for you a verse you might know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's outrageous. And I want to be part of something outrageous. Do you? Do you? I hope so. I hope so. I want to be part of a family that loves Jesus, loves people one step closer to Jesus. I want to be part of a family that will do anything to help one another. I want to take this step further. I want to be part of a family that shows up to meet the needs of someone before the someone ever expresses their needs. Why? How? Because you and I pay attention to people. We listen. We care about those people around us. I want to be part of a church family that leaves a legacy 
for Christ within this community. You and I won't always be here, but the church of Christ will. And we can begin to build that legacy even greater in this community in such a way that they will always know Jesus because of what we began, because he's calling us to. Are these dreams bold? Yes. Was Jesus and what he did for you and I, was that pretty bold? <laughs> I think so. Are these dreams too big for us? Absolutely. There's only one way any of this could ever happen. If we fully and totally trust in God, it is only through his power that we become who he wants us to be. God has placed a very clear vision before us. He has given us his word to guide us, and now we must respond. So let's talk about the response. What must we do first? Pray. Pray, 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 pray. But church, here's the problem with prayer. Some people, that's all they do. That's always where we start. But after we pray, we must respond. We must act. God's calling us to action. God will reveal your role. If you're faithful in prayer to him, he absolutely will reveal your role in all of this. His spirit will move your heart, and then you must respond. You will know the good that you need to do, and we want to empower you to do it. The next phase as a family, as a body of Christ that we've got to consider is giving. This is a huge need for us. It's been a very interesting year financially as a church. And in our congregational meeting, I point blank asked the folks, how specific should I be? And they said, be as specific as you possibly can be. And so I will be as specific as I possibly can be. We knew the new year, 2022, would be a challenge. Why? Well, because we believed God was calling us to add an additional full-time staff person. And praise God, we found that person in Ken. Once again, we have our youth ministry up and running, and I have something I've never had in my entire life, a sidekick. It's awesome to help me and partner with me and do stuff. It is incredible. God provided us with a man who has a huge heart for Jesus, a huge heart for the bride of Christ, and a huge heart for his people. And God's already using him to, in amazing ways. And I cannot wait to see how God uses him to help meet some of these needs that we've discussed today. But we knew it would be a challenge because we're funding an additional salary. The year for us did not start well financially. The first quarter of the year, we actually ended about $20,000 in the negative for our year. Now, we have money to borrow from ourselves, so it's not a big deal, but, but as far as the local checking account is concerned, that's what it looked like. Now, the rest of the year has been completely stable, but we've never recovered that original deficit. Now, the awesome news is this. Overall for the year, now, we don't have the full numbers in yet because we still have five more Sundays counting today. We still got five more Sundays, so... I'll mention that. Five more Sundays for this year to help with that, okay? But, but the reality is, if, if the year ended just based on the averages, we will end this year $15,000 ahead of 2021. So that is very well done. You should give yourselves a round of applause for that. We are so excited for that. I, I don't know this to be a fact. There's no way for me to really go back and research it, so I'm going to state it as a possible fact. Take with it what you will. Don't fact check me. Just go with it. We might have given more money to missions this year than maybe ever in the history of the church. Over $70,000 that will go out to serve. Guys, that, that is, that's incredible. That's insane. That's an insane number for a church of our size. Size doesn't matter. Our God's bigger. Our prayer is simply this. 
It's always this, that God will meet our needs each week through you, and he has. But now God has given us a new dream. (laughs) He's challenged us to do more than just make ends meet. He's pushing us to reach out in new ways, which will require more funding. Keep in mind, as we reach out, more and more people will come to Christ, and he will then challenge them in their giving as well. You see, we're not on this journey alone God has provided all we need to get here, and as long as we trust him, he will provide everything that we need to move forward. Now, I shared this story with you a couple weeks ago about this prophet, Elijah, and this widow who had this incredible amount of faith from 1 Kings 17. If you weren't here that week, let me give you just the 30-second recap because it's so important to who we are as a church, and I believe this will be our example as we hold everything out there in front of us that God is challenging us to do. The widow was down to her last meal. There was a great drought in the land. God had called off the rains. Therefore, there was this tremendous drought and people were going to starve. She was down to her last meal for herself and her son. And God prompted this prophet Elijah to go to the widow and ask her for food. Now, if she were to give this to Elijah, it would mean she would give up her last meal for her and her son and they would literally be going to be left for dead. But Elijah said, no, no, if you're willing to provide for me this meal, then God will provide you oil and flour until the drought is over. And she had faith. She had faith, and God fulfilled his end of the promise. How does that relate to us? Well, I just want to share with you, if you don't know, how the leadership of your church has already put this parable into practice. It began a few years ago when God, we felt the call from God to invest in a full-time person to minister to our, to our children and our families. At that point in time, that was a leap of faith. We did not know how God would take our little jar and be able to provide that need for that position. And yet he has. He's proved faithful. Last year, God challenged us to begin the pursuit of a full-time youth and associate pastor. Again, requiring us to have faith that our little jar would keep flowing, and it has. And now, here we are, with new dreams that he has placed in the heart of the people of Berea. Dreams to become more like Jesus. Dreams to become a more loving family. Dreams to reach out to those around us in ways that will move them one step closer to Jesus. In order to do that, we have to keep pouring from our little jar. And we've got to have faith that God will keep us stocked with oil and stocked with flour, and it will just keep flowing. How do we do that as a church? Well, it takes all of us individually. In order for that to happen, God is asking you, and he's asking me to look at our jars as well. What has God provided us with? Every single one of us is blessed. Every one of us is in a different phase of life. We all have unique things to consider at this portion of our life. For those of you that maybe are fairly new to the church, you might not even realize this, but giving back to God is a a form of worship. We're all going to approach it a little bit differently. Not all of us are going to raise our hands. (laughs) It's a little different. It's never ever in Scripture about equal giving. What God desires from all of us is equal sacrifice. For many of us in the room, giving has probably become pretty routine. Honestly, it's probably pretty easy. We just have it programmed in. It's a part of our budget. It's just what we do. We don't think a whole lot of it. There's nothing wrong with that to an extent. We're thankful for those consistent gifts. It really helps with the budget day today. So thank you. But maybe it's time for you to reconsider 
Maybe God is challenging you in a new way at this phase of life. Maybe your jar, if you were to take it out of the, the cupboard, is actually pretty big. And maybe it's, it's pretty full. Will you ask God specifically, what is he calling you to give sacrificially? I'm, I'm praying that God moves some people in some ways that opens doors that we don't even know exist yet because their sacrificial gift completely alters our course. Because you see, our God can do that. Our God can make a way where there is no way. So if God stirs you in that arena, please, let's talk and pray about what doors God might be opening. But it's not about equal gift. Don't be thinking, oh, that's not me. There's no way I could do that. It's equal sacrifice. Take a look at your jar. How might God be challenging in, you, in your area? You might look at your jar and say, yeah, yeah there's not really much there. Uh-huh. Back to the widow. She only had enough for one meal, and she had faith that God would provide. God isn't probably asking a single one of us to give up our last meal, is he? But he might be asking us to give up something. It could be a habit. It could be a subscription. It could be a round of golf every week. It could be a few dinners out. Maybe you've never really even considered giving to the church before, and so this whole worship through giving is like a whole new idea to you, and things are tight right now, and God knows all of that. So pray to God and ask God to reveal how you should start worshiping in this way. I don't think the widow headed out to the city gate that day thinking, you know, I think I'm going to give away my last meal today. But her faith provided food for her and her son and Elijah for many, many months. You see, without faith, there's no opportunity for God to step in and provide. Maybe you've been giving for a long time, but, but you just give from the leftovers. Hey, what's left over at the end of the week? I'll, I'll give that to God. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But maybe God is challenging you to, to flip the script and take it off the top. In the Old Testament, we, we called that a tithe. God required 10% off the top, the first fruits of everything to be given to his work. Maybe God is calling you to give a tithe for the first time in your life. Maybe God is calling you to be going beyond that 10%. You've given 10% your whole life because that's just what you thought you were supposed to do. And now that word sacrifice comes in. You're like, I'm not really sacrificing anything to give a tithe. That's easy. What do I need to do? I told you I asked that group that met in that, that meeting, do you want the numbers, the specific hard numbers? Let me give it to you. Here are the numbers based on for 2023 upcoming. As a congregation, weekly, to meet budget, now keep in mind, we're not a household budget. We don't spend money we don't have, okay? So keep that in mind. And in order to meet budget for 2023, we need about $1,600 more per week. You might say, well, that seems like a lot. Yeah, let's break it down a little bit. If we had 100 people give each week, that would be $16.74 per person per week. If we had 75 people giving per week, it would be $22.33. I told you I'd be specific. If we had just 50 people give each week, that would be $33.49 per person. Now, for some people, giving an extra $16 a week right now in this economy would be hard to do. And maybe that is what God's calling you to do. Maybe it's only $10. That's all that you have. Okay, that's fine. What is God prompting you to give? And let's be really honest, for many of us in the room, 
we could easily give another 100, 200, or more per week, and we wouldn't even notice a difference. Look at your jar and what God is asking you to do. Maybe God's not asking you to just make a cake for a prophet. Maybe God is calling you to help create an entirely new children's ministry space or a new worship center. Maybe to help provide for Christian education for the older students within our community. Dream big. Dream big. It's going to take all of us. First, to, to help overcome the shortfall of 2022 since the beginning. Here's what's awesome. We've got five Sundays left to do that. And I did mention a while ago we, we did have a computer completely fry earlier this week. So we had to buy a new computer, and it'll be in here in about a week and a half. So those things happen. Those things happen, and we know God will use you to provide for those things because that's just our God and who he is. But here's what's so cool. As we will fully recover from that shortfall, I am not worried. God provides exactly what we need as we need it. As that gets behind us, then we get to focus on these new ministry opportunities that God has laid out for us. And these things become possible through him. And I'm excited. Because we'll never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are. And I can't wait to see who we are becoming, church. Do you know how hard it was to write this message a few weeks ago and just throw it in the can and not look at it for two weeks? Ah, it's like, it's like a, a keeping a surprise for Christmas, which is something I love to do, but it's hard, right? It's hard. We have four more Sundays, five counting this one in 2022 to get everything going. 53 Sundays in 2023, and here's what's awesome. Through online giving, you can give anytime, anyway, anyplace. It doesn't matter. You used to have to wait till Sunday, right, to bring it, but you don't have to do that anymore. What lies ahead is not going to be easy, folks. It's going to be hard, and the world is going to resist, but here's what's awesome. People will respond. People will respond to the outpouring of love from this little church on a corner into this community, and they will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is all that matters. I know today was long. I've read it all week, and I knew this was going to be long, and so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to get David to get this posted as soon as he can tomorrow. So will you please go back at some point this week, and at least watch the part where we went through those dreams, those ideas, those felt needs that people shared. If you're a numbers person, go back and just listen to the numbers and ask for God to lead you in those directions. Pray for those dreams. Pray for those needs. Pray that God will lead you to be a part of those things here. Pray that God will provide very clear guidance and direction for the leadership and the staff here at Berea. Pray that he will provide the finances that we need to begin to minister in some of these new ways. Pray that we will be willing to keep pouring from our jar, believing that our God is faithful and he will keep it filled. And if you're just joining us today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what you must know. This is who he calls us to be. People of vision, people moving forward, people trying to figure out new ways to reach the crowds, the people around us, a lost and dying, hopeless world around us. And if you've come today and you don't know that Jesus yet, then that's the first thing we want to do. That's priority number one is sharing him with you and his love with you. And it's his love that's inspired us to be here today and to share these words with you today. So please don't hesitate to respond to that call. Father God, as we come before you, 
considering all that you have shown. Let us begin by remembering all that you've done. Father, if we, we want to go through all the details in the Old Testament and everything, we can. If we just want to focus on the singular act of you sending your son to this earth to come and live that perfect life and to die for us, then, Father, let us start there. Challenge us today. The words were many. Your example is clear. So, Father, help each individual, whether in person or online, just pick out the part of today that ministers to their spirit, that challenges their spirit. Father, we're not challenged enough in the church. We're not challenged to become more like you every day sometimes. It just becomes routine. It's just what we do. Or we say who we are, but yet we don't ever reflect that. I, I pray that we can begin to reflect that even more. Father, we know that you will provide you our faithful in every way. Father, allow us to each look at our own jars and evaluate how you've blessed us and how you're asking us to in turn work within the church to begin to meet these needs and these opportunities that await us. Father, the dream is big for us, tiny for you. We just must trust in your leadership and your provision. Father, as we go into our holiday season and we're confronted with people all around us that don't know you, Father, will, will you make this a place that those are willing to come to learn, to grow, Father, to meet you maybe for the first time ever. And we can't wait for those moments. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.